Hey guys, welcome to episode 22 of The Daily Churn. Today's episode is going to be a recap of all the things I churned in March. And March was uh, turned out to be a pretty good month. There were some bank bonuses that posted from my efforts back in February. I also went deeper on treasury bonds and researching crypto and stablecoins because of the H and Bradley changes that I'll cover in this episode as well. Plus a couple updates on some brokerage opportunities that are a nice, quick, easy way of meeting spend. And I covered one of those in the February recap. Also a pretty massive credit card bonus posted as well. So that was super nice. Then we've got some cell phone churns that came through. Some meal kits as well, a bit of miscellaneous stuff on Rakuten and through Cigna. Yeah, all kinds of things last month. So stay tuned and we'll cover all of those. Starting with banks, we had PSECU, the Pennsylvania State Employees Credit Union, I believe. That bonus finally posted for my P2. And if you recall, one of my complaints about that bank was it just took forever to get approved. And the same thing happened with me as my P2, where it took about two weeks for them to even review the application and request an additional piece of documentation, and then another two weeks for them to review that documentation. But once past the approval process, everything was really smooth. The $200 that I sent from Capital One was enough to trigger their $250 bonus. Plus, I got a $50 bonus for referring my P2. So it ended up being $300 total for my P2 that I got in March because I already received my bonus back in February. And again, the nice part with this one is the bonus is posts really quickly, like within a day or two of that Capital One deposit hitting my account, the bonus showed up. The time consuming part, though, is just getting through that approval process. There was also Current Bank, the, the app bank that uh, I got bonuses on for both myself and my P2. And it was a $50 bonus for doing a $200 employer direct deposit. And so I was last month trying to test what would and potentially wouldn't work. And I can confirm that Ally does not work, but Discover Savings and Charles Schwab Brokerage will work to trigger that $50 bonus. And it's fairly easy to test yourself as well because the bonus posts about a week after the $200 deposit hits. So if you do a $200 deposit from one of your bank accounts, you wait a week and current doesn't post a $50 bonus, you know then to go try a different bank. And you can stack this with Swagbucks and MyPoints promos by opening the current account using a link from one of those portals. But the $50 promo also changed a little bit from last month. Instead of it being like a welcome 50 promo code, now it's only via referral. And you can go on Doctor of Credit and find referral links from folks and uh, sign up that way. Then there was Fairwinds Credit Union for $100. And that one turned out to be really easy as well because I can confirm that Google Pay deposits will work. So what you do is you just sign up for a Google Pay account, uh, reload your Google Pay with some money, and then withdraw that Google Pay into Fairwinds Credit Union. And when you do that withdrawal, it will count as the deposit requirement in order to trigger the Fairwinds $100. And that bonus posts on the 15th of the month. So you do have to wait a little bit, but ideally just hit it right before the 15th and you only have to wait a couple days for the bonus to post. So in March, I got the $100 for my account and I'm still waiting for $100 on my P2 account plus the $100 that I get for referring my P2. So those are still pending, but I did receive the $100 on mine already. Finally, on the bank side of things, just an update on the whole H&Bradley thing where they've essentially crippled their accounts and made it 
a lot more complicated to get the 3% interest. And it's really gotten so convoluted to a point where I actually messed it up trying to qualify for the 3% for Q2, April through June of this year. And so I had even opened a HM Bradley credit card for the 3%, but the way they launched the credit card promo, their terms were worded so poorly and so confusingly, intentionally so, I think, that um, yeah, even I didn't meet the requirements for Q2. So my choices were either skipping a quarter and qualifying for Q3 instead, because the way the requirements work is you have to meet those requirements in the quarter before the quarter that you're going to get the interest on. Right. So confusing even there, but that was option one. Option two is I open another HM Bradley credit card for my P2's account because the credit card automatically gives you 3% interest for the following quarter, which wouldn't be ideal because at that point I would have opened two HM Bradley credit cards. Or option three was just move away completely from HM Bradley and find a new place to park cash. And that's what I went with. And I'm really, really glad I did that because there are some really interesting opportunities out there right now for places where you can park cash and earn a pretty good passive rate of return. So the big one that I think most people have heard about by now is buying treasury bonds, specifically I-bonds. And I covered that in a few episodes before, and it's all over Doctor of Credit and even Slick Deals. So there's a lot of resources out there if you're new to the whole buying I-bonds thing. But the TLDR is at 7% interest rate that you will lock for six months. And they'll renew that interest rate in May, I believe. And no one's expecting it to really vary that much or go below that 7% given that inflation is still very present. So it's essentially 7% interest for a year. And the issue or the limitation with these I-bonds is that you're only allowed to buy $10,000 a year for yourself. And if you have a P2, they can buy $10,000. If you have kids, you can buy $10,000 for them too. If you have businesses, you can buy $10,000 for your business. But there is that hard cap of $10,000. The latest update to that, though, which isn't anything new, this has been uh, a part of Treasury Bonds since forever, but I think a lot of people like myself are just now getting into it, is that you can gift Treasury Bonds. And what gifting does is it essentially allows you to purchase more treasury bonds this year and lock in the interest rate because the interest rate applies to when you purchase the gift and then it sits in your gift box and you can choose when to gift that out to somebody and so during that whole time while it's sitting in your gift box it is earning interest and then at some point in the future you would gift that out so it allows you to buy more than ten thousand dollars worth of i bonds in a year and lock in the interest rate however when you gift it to somebody that gift will count towards their $10,000 cap. So it's not like I can buy $100,000 worth of I-bonds and then gift it to my wife next year and she's going to be able to receive hundred k worth of I-bonds. No, she can still only cash in ten k So the benefit of gifting is really just to lock in the rate now while the rate is so high at 7% interest. Whereas if we were to wait until next year to buy another 10000 worth of I-bonds, the interest rate will be reflective of the rate of inflation in 2023, which could be higher or it could be lower. So if you're pretty happy with the 7% interest that it's offering now, gifting is a good way to do that. But of course, you don't want to like buy $100,000 worth of I-bond gifts when you only have a P2 and your P2 can only receive 10000 a year. You'll be sitting on those for 10 years as you slowly gift those out. And you'll be stuck with whatever interest rate is being applied to them while it sits in your gift box. 
So the key here is not to overdo it. In my case, I bought another $10,000, which I'm going to gift to my wife next year. And then my wife bought $10,000 that she's going to gift to me next year. And so we already had $30,000 from last year for myself and her, plus our business, then $30,000 from this year for myself, her, and the business. Now the extra $20,000 that we are going to gift each other in 2023 for 80K total. And there's also a way to get $5,000 extra of I-bonds in paper form by overpaying your taxes. And I haven't done my taxes yet this year. I'm about to. We're getting close to the deadline. But I'm assuming it's as simple as overpaying your taxes by $5,000 when you file. And then you get to select how you want to receive that $5,000 as a refund. And one of those options is paper I-bonds. And I think 5K is the max that you can get on a tax return. So our plan is to do that, which will bring our I-bond total up to 85K, which is pretty nice because that's guaranteed at 7% for the next six months, plus another six months at whatever rate is decided as the inflation rate, which I'm assuming is probably going to be 7% or more. The main downside, though, is that it isn't as liquid as funds were in H.M. Bradley, although you could argue funds in H.M. Bradley weren't that liquid anyway, given their various savings and deposit requirements that you needed to meet each quarter to qualify for that interest rate. So with I-bonds, if you want to withdraw them completely penalty-free, you need to hold them for five years. But if you want to withdraw them sooner, you absolutely can. You just pay one quarter's worth of interest, which at 7%, if you hold it for a year and decide to withdraw it, you pay a quarter of that as a penalty so you're still getting over 5% interest on those bonds, which is still a really, really good rate. But if you have more money than your I-bond cap allows you to buy, or if you just want money that is more liquid, so in our case, both of those scenarios, um, crypto was the alternative I was looking at. And I know there's just a lot of hype around crypto right now, and it can be challenging to even keep up with all the new developments in that space. But the easy mode, less risky way of doing crypto is to purchase stablecoins. And I might do a, a dedicated episode just on crypto and stablecoins in the future. But in the meantime, the TLDR is that stablecoins are cryptocurrencies that are pegged against the US dollar. So there's really no change in their price. There's no massive bubbles or massive dips. They are pegged and one of the most long running stable ones is USDC, USD coin. And there's also Gemini coin, GUSD, which is the one that's run by the Winklevoss twins and has a ton of funding. And since these coins are pegged against the US dollar, the main risk really that exists with stable coins is that the platform that you're holding these coins on goes bankrupt or is hacked and you lose those coins. And so when it comes to parking money in stablecoins, it's really about hedging against platform risk. And the way to do that is to pick platforms that have been around for a long time, have positive reviews, and also diversify your holdings across multiple platforms and multiple coins. So in our case, we're essentially cashing out everything from H.M. Bradley and maxing out treasury bonds. And the remainder is going into 50% USD coin and 50% Gemini coin. And the primary reason for doing that is that these stablecoins earn really high interest. So in the case of USD coin, it ranges from anywhere from 5% all the way up to 12-13% interest by holding USD coin with the platform. Like it's the platform paying you interest in order to have your coin held with them, just like how a bank essentially works. 
and Gemini is paying 8% interest to hold Gemini coin on the Gemini platform. So starting with like USD coin, I just went through a whole list of all the interest rates being offered and kind of just did a bit of research on each company offering the rates. And the one I ended up picking was Voyager, which was offering 9% interest on holding USD coin. I picked Voyager because it's publicly traded. It's been around for a while. Their app has like 100,000 five-star reviews on the app store. And that was important because there were other platforms offering 12%, 13%. For example, Hodlnot is offering 12.7%. Vold is also offering 12 to 13%. But Hold or Not only has 37 reviews on the App Store and Vold only has 129 reviews and some of them were like three or four star. And so the potential of getting over 12% was appealing, but in my opinion, not worth the platform risk of a newer company maybe going bankrupt or being hacked and you losing access to those coins. So for us, Voyager had the right combination of interest rate and stability that kind of met our risk appetite for doing this. And similarly, Gemini at 8%. Now I think it actually went down to 6.9%, but Gemini coin was just another way to both diversify the platform the coins are on and then also the coin itself. And one of the main features that Gemini is built around is their security practices and their compliance with the SEC and doing all the right regulatory filings, like their whole deal was to essentially sell and market themselves as the brokerage for stability and trust and security. And they've gotten a ton of funding, like hundreds of millions of dollars, thanks to the Winklevoss twins involvement. And, you know, they're a really easy, nice platform to use. And they have 85,000 five-star reviews on the App Store. And so, yeah, for us, that was the, the no-brainer choice for diversifying against having only USD coin on only one platform. But, you know, your mileage may vary with this stuff. We've only been doing it for about a month now, and um, it's been going smooth so far. I mean, it's actually kind of scary how easy it is to transfer in and buy like $10,000 of a coin. Like it's literally a few minutes to sign up on a really nice app on the phone. There's no transfer wait times. Like the minute you link your account on Played and you say transfer in 10000 they instantly spot you the 10000 so you can make the trade immediately and it's now in your portfolio so literally like three clicks and you have ten thousand dollars compared to like a traditional bank as you guys know how much of a tedious process it is to even just sign up but then add your account and transfer money in yeah it's a it's quite a night and day difference and um we're pretty happy with it so far but you know keep in mind these rates do change really quickly like gemini was eight percent when i signed up now it's 6.9 percent. so definitely keep your eye out for rate changes and research and move to different platforms as needed there's a pretty good site that has all of the platforms with their rates listed in a really intelligible readable way i'll post a link to that on the dailychurnpodcast.com and you can check that out as well i think the url is cfirerates.com and then you can look at different coins but the key here is to go with stable coins and then pick a few different platforms. There's also uh, a couple sign-up bonuses too. I think Gemini, if you Google Gemini sign-up bonus, there's a Motley Fool link that will give you $100 for signing up, which is a lot better than like the $50 you find on other sites and the $10 for referring someone. So definitely use the Motley Fool link and you get $100 once you sign up and deposit $1,000 and buy $1,000 worth of crypto, which is what you would do if you are trying to get stable coins. So 
just kind of a, a really easy way for a free hundred. Then Voyager, I think the best there is, is just a $25 via referral. So I'll post my referral link on the side as well. If you want to use it, we'll both get 25 bucks of, I think, just Bitcoin. So not bad. It's still just free money. But yeah, between Gemini at 7% and USD coin at Voyager at 9% and then Treasury bonds at 7.12%, we're now making easily over double the rate that H.M. Bradley was paying us. And it's way more liquid with way less monthly and quarterly requirements that H.M. Bradley had. So, you know, under that perspective, I'm sort of happy that H.M. Bradley has forced us off of their platform with all of these negative changes. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty exciting time for earning passive income on your cash. All right. So getting back on track with banks, the final tally there was $300 from PSECU from my P2, $50 times two from current, so $100. Then $100 from Fairwinds for $500 total in March from bank bonuses. Next up is brokerages. So nothing really posted in a monetary sense in March, but a couple interesting updates on the brokerage side of things. So in the February recap last month, I talked about a online app brokerage that was a really easy way to hit $5,000 worth of spend. My update on this is that the withdrawal issues, at least for my account, uh, were non-existent. We didn't have any issues with drawing. So what we did was we put the spend on our Capital One Venture X card. And then once it made it into the brokerage, we bought BIL, which I think is just a Barclays short-term money fund or something. It's essentially pegged to the US dollar and doesn't really move. But we bought that and held it for a few weeks before then selling. And I withdrew $1,500 without any issues. I wasn't asked for more strenuous forms of ID, which from reading some data points does seem to be the case with some accounts. So I think potentially the key here is to not make it look like you're only doing this for the credit card spend. Like go in, deposit your 5k, but make sure you buy some shares, hold them for a few weeks. Then when you sell, don't just withdraw everything at once and just, you know, spend a week or two slowly cashing it out. And hopefully that alleviates some of the withdrawal problems that I've seen people have. One thing to keep in mind, though, is I just got an email from PayPal announcing that PayPal key is being discontinued as of April 20th. So in about two and a half, three weeks. And uh, yeah, that's obviously a problem for this method because it does require PayPal key. And my guess for why they're discontinuing PayPal key is they've probably realized now that the primary use case for PayPal key was to circumvent MS controls. And so, um, yeah, I guess they were just losing money on it, which totally makes sense. But it was fun while it lasted. I, I wish I got in early, like some folks, and, and really hit it for like millions of dollars. But, you know, you guys got about two and a half weeks to get your free $5,000 in. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, be sure to go back to the February recap or just hit up the dailychurnpodcast.com and click the February link make an account there and you'll be able to see which brokerage we're talking about. And on the topic of meeting credit card spend really easily, Stockpile is still alive and working, although it's sort of at a more crippled state, but it is still letting you buy $200 per day of stock gift cards up to a $2,000 limit. And if you're not familiar with Stockpile, essentially it's stockpile.com. They let you buy gift cards that you can then cash in for stock. And for a while there last year, there weren't any limits. So 
people went really hard and heavy on that one. But now it's down to $200 per day and they do very strictly enforce that 24-hour limit. And if you try and do it within that 24-hour limit or if one of your transactions fails, it will still count towards your cap of $2,000 for the year. So make sure you don't mess up that 24-hour limit and you use a card that you know will work. And in this case, the Capital One Venture X cards do not work on Stockpile. And neither does PayPal Key, unfortunately. But I can confirm that the Chase cards do because I just opened a Chase Inc. Unlimited and we were able to do $200 yesterday, another $200 today. I'm going to do another $200 tomorrow all the way until we reach that 2K limit. And similarly to the other brokerage, you can just select a gift card that lets you buy any stock and then you can just buy BIL the super stable stock that doesn't move and then you can sell it later and withdraw back to your bank. So a pretty easy way to just get 2k of spend. I think they do also limit by like email or like your home address or IP address and maybe even like your credit card number. So if you want to do more than 2k I think it is possible but you may have to get creative with like putting spend on a different card and then using maybe a VPN so your IP address is different. But at least for just 2k it's super simple and this has been around for a long time and it's pretty public info so sharing this <laughs> very publicly here but yeah check it out stockpile.com still sort of works all right so brokerage wise the tally it would just be zero but i was able to use those two methods to finish a bunch of spend which we'll get into next so moving right on to credit cards the card i opened last month was a chase inc unlimited for my p2 and that one is $7,500 of spend to get 75,000 Chase Ultimate Rewards points, which is pretty nice because depending on how you cash that out, it can be worth anywhere from $750 to $1,100 if you use their pay yourself back option or way more if you transfer those points towards a travel partner and actually book hotels and flights. So for that one, again, Stockpile works really well for it. And so that's an easy $2,000 of spend that you can knock off that $7,500. And then the rest, just you know, over three months, I think we'll naturally just spend that amount. And part of the reason we opened that card was because we finished spend on both the VentureX card that I had and the VentureX card that my wife had. And we finished that like unexpectedly quickly, thanks to uh, the whole $5,000 of, of brokerage spend per person. And so those bonuses posted in March and they were just really massive bonuses. Like it was 100,000 miles as a sign-up bonus and you had to spend $10,000 and you earned two points for every dollar spent. So it ended up being 120,000 points. Sadly, they've now reduced that sign-up bonus, I think, to 75,000 points for $4,000 of spend. So once you factor that spend in, I think the total you get is 83,000 points versus 120,000 points. And also they've removed that $200 bonus Airbnb VRBO vacation rental credit that you got. So that's no more. But the $300 travel portal credit is still there. So those are the changes. And it's definitely not as good as it was before, but could still be worth doing given the significantly lower amount of spend. But yeah, for us, the points posted and the way we're using those points is I really like the feature they have where you can redeem the points you earn now for travel purchases you made up to 90 days in the past because that meant we could open the card and then take our time to meet the spend and then redeem it for some previous bookings we made. And so we had a VRBO booking, like we're going to head up to the north coast of California, like the Mendocino, Wallala area, which 
just in my opinion, way better and way less crowded than Big Sur. It's sort of like the hidden secret of California in terms of places to visit. But there are no hotels there, really. Everything is a vacation rental, which worked out really well for this card because they have all of these credits that you can use. And one of the nice things with like VRBO is that they'll let you pay the booking in two different payments and you can use different cards for each payment, which works out really well if you have a P2 and you both have a Venture X card, because essentially we got that $200 VRBO credit twice for the same booking. And then we redeemed miles for cash back on the full VRBO charge. That's one of the interesting things with Capital One is that when you redeem miles for cash back, it applies to the full charge, even if Capital One has issued you a credit, in this case, $200 already for some of that purchase. So essentially that $200 that they issued us for VRBO was just actual statement credit. So that was nice. And then they're offering various things through their like Capital One online cashback portal, one of which is 5% back at VRBO. And so that hasn't arrived yet, but I'm expecting that to happen maybe in the next month or two. Then we booked like a rental car on their travel portal for this trip. And that was super easy. Like I wasn't expecting it to be as easy to use. And um, it was really nice. Yeah, you book it and then they immediately issue the cash back for it. And then I also got an extra 25,000 miles for referring my P2. And I believe someone from the podcast used my referral. I think it was Shelly. Thanks, Shelly. And so that was another 25,000 miles there. And so that was an extra 50,000 miles or $500 that we could use to reimburse. So all in all, it ended up being just a really crazy massive bonus because it was 240,000 miles just from signup bonuses for myself and my P2, then another 50,000 miles from referrals. So 290,000 miles total, which is literally worth $2,900 in cash back that we use to redeem towards travel. Then on top of that, there was a $200 per person VRBO credit. So for two people, another $400 of statement credit that way, plus $300 per person on the travel credit, which we used for car rentals. And I won't count that because the annual fee for the VentureX is $395. And so that $300 really just goes towards offsetting their annual fee. There's also that 5% back on VRBO that you get for using their cashback portal. And I won't count that either because I haven't received it yet. But when I do, it will just go towards, again, offsetting that $395 fee. But if you count just the miles and then the VRBO credit, we ended up getting $3,300 in cash back in March just from two credit cards, which is pretty insane. And I'm kind of conflicted about how to count this because while it is literally just cash savings, I don't necessarily know if we would have taken this trip if we didn't know we were getting two Venture X cards. It's like a two, $3,000 vacation. We probably wouldn't have paid for out of pocket and wouldn't have booked if Capital One wasn't going to cover it entirely. And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I'll count it, but maybe just keep it as a separate bucket. Usually when I earn miles and points from a credit card, I'll count that separately, even though those miles and points do have a cash value, but I'm always using them for actual flights and hotels. I'm never cashing them out. But in the case of the Venture X card, the way to use it really is to cash it out. Although you can transfer it to their travel partners as well, but this is one of those few ways where you can redeem miles for like a VRBO or Airbnb booking. So it's pretty unique in that sense. So yeah, final tally for credit cards, $3,300 of cashback in March. Next up, we have cell phones. Some of my earlier churns with cell phones have now finally paid off, specifically at Costco. I had opened two new Costco lines on T-Mobile 
with their bring your own device promo, which FYI, that promo gets extended like every week or every month. And so is still active as of right now. You can go to Costco and bring with you two phones and you just need to open T-Mobile service on two lines because two is the max and you'll get a $300 Costco shopping card for each line that you open. So essentially $600. And so I did that three, four months ago. It took about just over three months to get those shop cards processed and mailed to me. They finally came. And as soon as they came, I canceled T-Mobile. So I ended up paying $120 total for T-Mobile service across those three months because it was $20 per line for two lines, so $40 a month. And we paid for three months of service while we waited for those shopping cards to process. And that $20 plan is something that most likely you'll have to request through Twitter, like the T-Mobile Costco rep won't do it for you. And so that's what we did. We got it adjusted to that plan through Twitter afterwards. And, you know, I, I might actually hit this promo again as P2 because the net profit is essentially $600 of Costco shopping cards, which for us is really as good as cash because we shop at Costco every few weeks. And 600 minus the 120 that you pay T-Mobile ends up being $480 of profit for a fairly minimal amount of work. Like all I had to do was activate a couple burner SIM cards and bring those to Costco along with a couple phones. So if you're going to Costco anyway, it's kind of worth it for like 20, 25 minutes worth of work. And uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, if you're curious about this process, I have an episode on churning SIM cards and then another one on churning iPhones. So check out both of those and it'll kind of walk through how to go about getting burner SIM cards and then also how to go about doing the Costco deal. And then you can even stack it potentially with other phone deals happening at the same time if you have the time and energy to resell phones. But if not, you can just use existing phones that you currently have and just do it solely for the Costco shopping card credit and not try and make money on reselling phones. So that was pretty nice. And then there was Visible. I am still waiting on my $200 bring your own device promo there from a month or two ago. I have a reminder to contact Twitter this month and get it credited manually, which it seems like is gonna have to be the way to get it. But that bring your own device promo now is down to $25, so probably not worth doing, but they do increase that every so often during promo periods. Like sometimes it's 50, sometimes it's 100. A couple months ago, it was $200 for bringing your own device. And again, it's the same process as Costco where you activate a burner SIM card and then you port it into Visible by making a new account and then using like an old phone you have laying around. Someone asked if you can just keep activating new Visible accounts with the same phone. And my feeling is probably, but at some point they might catch on or flag you for like having 20 Visible accounts with the same IMEI number. So I'm not 100% certain though. So if anyone knows for sure, please do chime in in the comments. But yeah, still waiting on that $200. But I did get three referrals in from folks who I think listen to this podcast. So really appreciate it, you guys. The, the way I sort of value those referrals are essentially like $15 each because visible service is $25 a month for unlimited service. And with an Amex Business Platinum, you get a $10 wireless credit each month. So it essentially brings 25 down to $15. And that's what I would have to pay if it wasn't for these referrals. And referrals bring down your monthly bill to $5. But because of the Amex Business Platinum, that becomes $0 because of that $10 credit. And so, yeah, long-winded way of me saying that I'm going to count those as $15 each times three for $45 total from visible referrals. 
So that was it on the cell phone end and tallying up those two things, Costco Invisible ends up being 645 total in March from cell phones. And finally, we have the miscellaneous category. So the first one there is Cigna, which as you may or may not know, is a healthcare provider. But Cigna, by completing various activities on their portal, like get a physical or get a diabetes test or set up auto pay, they'll give you points, which then you can redeem for a prepaid visa card. And so I did this a couple months back, but they had more offers that you can do. So we did more of those. And so we ended up getting another $100 prepaid visa card, which you're technically supposed to use on healthy things, quote unquote, but like they don't really define what those are. I mean, we just buy healthy-ish food at Whole Foods as our sort of like way to do it. But I'm sure you can just cash it into like Amazon, for example, and no one's really checking this. But yeah, it's kind of just free money for doing some stuff that we probably should be doing anyway. So I guess it worked. So good job, Signa. Thanks for the hundred bucks. Then there were a bunch of meal kits. I mean, there's going to be meal kits in every one of these recaps because we've been going at meal kits for now, I think two years and there's no signs of it stopping. Like we literally have our food planned out through meal kits for all of April and all of May now, because there's just so many deals. So let's start with like HelloFresh. HelloFresh, I have many accounts. I mean, four, five, not that many, but quite a few accounts with HelloFresh. And once we get the promo, we end up uh, canceling those accounts. But the funny thing that HelloFresh does is they'll send these comeback mailers in the mail. And there's various offers on them, but the most recent round of offers saying, come back and reactivate your account, was for 75% off of your first box. And there's other percentages off like the later boxes too, but the one that really matters is how much of a discount you're gonna get on that first box. Because the bigger that first box discount, the more meals you can load into that first box and then cancel after that first box. So in our case, you know, usually with these meal kits, we're getting three meals for two. In this case of a 75% off your first box offer, we got eight meals for two. The total would have been $137 for those eight meals. And after the 75% off and you include their $10 of shipping, it ends up being $44, which is like a crazy good price because HelloFresh is one of our favorite meal kits. Like their meals are actually legitimately tasty. And if you want to do healthy food, they have some really good healthy options as well. And so I got one of those mailers and reactivated my account. And then a week later, they sent another mailer. And I was worried it'd be tied to the same account because it had the same name on it. But uh, we used it to reactivate my wife's account. And so that went through totally fine too. So yeah, definitely check your physical mail for these and make sure you read the terms to see not that they're saying, oh, you're going to get $160 off, but see how they're spreading that discount out across the boxes. And, you know, the bigger the first discount is, the more potential you have to just load as many meals as they'll let you do. In the case of HelloFresh, eight meals for two is the absolute max they'll let you get in one box. Then there were also some pretty good offers for meal kits via Rakuten. Gobble had a $30 cashback. Usually it's $15 of cashback on Gobble through Rakuten, but they were doing a double cashback week or something and it became $30 of cashback. And so we did that for both myself and P2. And the cost for Gobble when you sign up is $36 for three meals. And so after that $30 of cashback on Rakuten, it's only $6, which $6 for three meals is a really good deal considering Gobble is actually now one of my favorite meal kits. I wasn't expecting it to be 
so tasty, but like they actually have really good recipes. But the main selling point is their calorie counts are actually a, a reasonable amount for like an adult human. Like it will range between 800 to even up to 1400 calories per meal per person, which 1400 calories is actually a bit too much for us. Like we weren't able to finish it, but 900 to 1000 calories is perfect for like a dinner. And that's important because sometimes with Blue Apron or even HelloFresh and Sunbasket and some of these other ones, you have to really examine what the calorie count is because a five, 600 calorie meal is probably not enough for you unless you're actually trying to lose weight. And so, yeah, Gobble really was kind of a sleeper there and, and came out and, and really delivered some tasty meals that we weren't expecting. But yeah, I won't count Gobble yet because the way Rakuten works is the cashback, even though it's in my account, Rakuten has a quarterly payout day. So I think the next day is May 15th, where they'll actually give you all that money. Another one that I've been meaning to try on Rakuten, which I haven't gone around to, is Freshly. And they bumped that up to $40 of cash back instead of the usual $20. And I've seen it at actually $60 back in one of the holidays, like President's Day or something. And I think now it's back down to $20. But I would personally wait until the next Rakuten 2x or 3x cashback promo that they run. And they do that pretty frequently. Like 2x happens pretty often. I think 3x they save for like holidays. So maybe the next opportunity would be Memorial Day in a couple months. But when they do the 3x, I'm assuming they'll do it for Freshly again and for Gobble again. And that could be a good time to jump in and actually make money on these meal kits instead of it just offsetting the cost. So nothing really to count on Rakuten since nothing pays out till middle of May. Someone did join using my Rakuten referral, so I really appreciate that. But again, it won't be paid out until May, so I'll count that at that time. But yeah, I guess since we're on the topic of Rakuten, I am really waiting for their increased cashback again and hoping that Dell hits that 10 to 12% range because usually it's 2%. But during the holidays, Dell goes up to 10, 12%. And that's a great time to use your Amex Business Platinum credits because you get $200 of Dell credit through an Amex Business Platinum every six months. And so if you have multiple cards, which we do, one for myself, one for my P2, that's $400 of Dell credit for us stacked with the 10% back at Rakuten. And the thing I just discovered from my friend a few days ago is that Dell will let you use multiple payments for a single order. So instead of just getting $200 back on one item, you can get up to $600 back on one item if you use three Amex Platinum cards. In our case, since we have two Amex Platinum cards, that means I can get $400 off of Dell for a single item, plus Rakuten will give 10% back on that. So it essentially ends up being like $450 free on Dell every six months. And if you're like me and you've been stuck on what to buy using those Amex Business Platinum credits, and you've bought enough Nest thermostats and you're too lazy to resell Xbox gift cards. The joke I have with my wife is that Amex is essentially trying to pay me to play Elden Ring because I don't have Elden Ring yet, but I see posts about it on Reddit constantly. Like half of Reddit's front page now is essentially Elden Ring memes. And the nice part is that Dell sells an Xbox Series S for $335. It's not $300 because they force you to buy a bundle that includes Fortnite and Rocket League, I think. But $335 and Elden Ring is also being sold on Dell for $60. And so $395 total that Amex will reimburse completely across two cards. Then Rakuten will send us an extra $40. So it's essentially like they're paying me $40 to buy an Xbox and play Elden Ring, which um, I'm probably going to have to do in the next month or two when 
Rakuten has that 10 to 12% back on Dell again. But yeah, circling back to the tally, it was just that $100 from Cigna and the Rakuten stuff will come in a month or two. All right, so tallying everything up across all the categories, we've got for banks, $500 from PSECU, Fairwinds, and Current. Brokerages, $0, but some really decent MS opportunities. Then credit cards, $3,300 of cashback from the two VentureX cards. Cell phones, $645 total from that Costco and visible referrals. Then miscellaneous, we've got that $100 from Cigna for a total of $1,245 in straight cash, plus $3,300 of cashback for a total of $4,545 in March. Probably, I think, the best month I've had so far, because usually I don't convert these miles and points into cashback. But in the case of VentureX, that is sort of one of the best ways of using those points. So I mean, even if I didn't count the VentureX miles in that total, 1245 from just bonuses is still pretty good. You know, my rough target each month is $1,000. So yeah, really good month. All right, guys, that's it for the March recap. I know I'm super behind in posting the ANA first class episode. Don't worry, it's coming soon. Like it's fully recorded. The issue was that it turned into a two and a half hour recording because there's just so many details and nuances in terms of how to really work that ANA miles booking system to get those first class tickets. And I wanted to capture the whole process so that you could literally listen to the episode and take your Amex points, transfer them to ANA and have like a 95% edge on booking ANA first and business class tickets over everyone else who's trying to book those using their miles. And so, yeah, it's a, it's just a lot of editing to try and cut it down and condense it into just the key pieces of information without putting you to sleep with a, a three hour podcast. So that's where it's at, but it is almost done. So I will be posting that soon. So definitely keep an eye out for that. And thanks for listening to this episode, guys. Appreciate the referrals. And if you guys have any questions, feel free to hit me up on the dailychurnpodcast.com. You can leave a comment there or find me on Reddit or Telegram or via email. Thanks for tuning in. See you guys next time. Bye.